welcome. Thank you for choosing to listen to another word-filled message by David Entry. Preaching is the means by which God manifests his word and nourishes our spirits. May the life of God enter into you anew as you listen to this message. Be blessed. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, in our previous session we finished with the verse 11. Let's go to verse 12. It says, Behold, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. But if ye are reproached for the name of, of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God rests, rests upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let, it, let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Let, yet, if anyone suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Amen. Right. We thank you, Lord, that your word is coming to change our story in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, th- this, this is so packed, you know. The, the, I just love the scriptures because every page of the scripture is shouting out loud to change your story and to, and to bring uh, a transformation in our lives. In chapter 4, from verse 1 to 11, it's actually addressed how we should prepared to suffer and talk, talk about three types of time, our time on earth as a, as a Christian, your time, I mentioned in the previous teaching, your time, how you handle time because you are going to give an account to God, prepare to meet your God. And then secondly, unbelievers, whether they, uh, they believe or not, they are also going to meet God. So we should use the time to try and get them to Christ before they die because they are also going to meet God. And then thirdly, the entire church will, will, will face Jesus. Jesus is coming for the entire church. So we should be prepared for the coming of our Lord Jesus. Three types or three kinds of categories of times that has been represented. And because Jesus is coming, because the end is near, he asks, he encourages us to pray fervently, walk in love, practice hospitality, and minister to one another based on the giftings God has given us. And in the verse 11, it says that if any man speaks, let him speak of the oracle of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God. That's so beautiful. So even the, the ability to do the work of God, to minister to people, is an ability that God gives. God is the one who gives us the enablement to do. What I'm doing is God who gives me the ability. It's not because of natural intelligence. It's not because of personality. It's not because of training. It's not because of just exposure, natural exposure. But it's mainly because of an ability that God has endowed me with to do. Whatever you are doing, he said, anything you do, do it as... Um, um, the, uh, do it as of the ability which God gives, uh, gives, God uh, uh, supplies, God has given us, God has supplied us with this ability with which we do the work of God. And it talks about how um, God has given, that God in all things may be glorified. So at the end of the day, it's God who takes the glory. Watch this. How is he going to be glorified? Not through my preaching. Okay. Not through 
my ability, not through your actions, not through your body per se, but God is glorified through Christ. So then what does it mean? My, my preaching should be project, projecting Christ so that God can be glorified through Christ. Whatever we do in church, in the body of Christ, is supposed to be serving people with Christ, presenting Christ so that God gets glorified through Christ. God cannot be glorified through me. God cannot be glorified through my singing, through my preaching, through my good behavior, through my nice behavior. He actually gets glorified through Christ. But my good behavior is supposed, watch this, is very important. My good behavior, our good behavior is supposed to be displaying Christ. So if our good behavior is just displaying how nice we are, God doesn't get glorified. If our good behavior is to show that I can also do this, I can also, people should see that, you know, I'm a kind, I'm a kind person. Your kind person, being a kind person does not necessarily bring people to Christ. It is the Christ that we demonstrate through our kind is what is able to bring people to Christ. So that is why I said, be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. Chapter 3, verse 15. Said, be prepared because we, we must do it with Christ on our minds. Everything we do, it should be Christ-centered. Your ministry, pastor, your ministry, minister, your service in church, your behavior in your neighborhood, whatever. You want to give sandwiches, as you are giving sandwich, make sure that it is Christ that is being projected. You are drawing them to the fact that you are doing this because of Christ, not because you are a nice person, but because of Christ. You forgive people because of Christ. You, 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 you use hospitality because of Christ. And once we did that, the Christ that we project is the only one through whom God is glorified. That in all things, God will be glorified. Yes, it's right in your Bible. In all things, that God may be glorified through Christ to whom, to whom be praise and uh, dominion forever and ever. Then he says, amen. Then he said, beloved, he uses an, a, a term of endearment. You're so close to my heart. I, I love you. And watch this. That is the word God used for his son. When he was being baptized in Matthew chapter three, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well. So it's a word that God uses for Christ, so long as the intra-Trinitarian love is concerned, the love the Father has for the Son. He said, Be my beloved. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter uh, 17, he said, my beloved Son. And so it's a term God used for Christ. Now, because we are in Christ and we are following Christ, we also become beneficiaries and bona fide partakers of that term. So Peter says, my beloved, my beloved. When you are in Christ, Bible says you have been accepted in the beloved. Ephesians chapter one, we have been accepted in the beloved. You have been, you are part of those who are specially loved. You are the beloved of God. You are the apple of God's eye. You are the object of God's love. Hallelujah. Praise God. There is love that God has for the, for the, his people, which is not the same as the love God has for the world. God is love, but his love is for his people. So we, we, it's very important to understand that we are the beloved of God and not those in the in the category of the wrath of God or those whose, who God's wrath is upon. Now, he said, beloved, this is interesting. Beloved, the way you think, you remember chapter four, verse one, he said that, for as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, likewise, you should have the same mind. All right, so we have to have this same mind and it talks about arm yourself with the same mind. It, it's, it's, is a, a, a terminology of warfare, 
arm yourself with the same mind. Like, yeah, like I've seen in verse 1. Arm yourself likewise with the same mind. It's, um, it's, it's a mindset ready for war. Now here, verse 12, it says that, Beloved, think your mindset. Think, think, think the way you are thinking. Think it not strange concerning fiery trial. Fiery trial. He said, don't think. What kind of fiery trial? Watch this. Thinking not straight concerning fiery trial, which is to try you. What? Don't think there is something strange happening to you. It's, it's normal. What is he trying to say? It's normal to suffer trial. It's, it's, it's normal to go through fiery trial. He said, don't think it's strange. See, don't assume that something, why oh, am I going through all that? Well, when good things happen, we are quick to, as you, thank you, Lord. Thank I got the job. If you lo- lo- lose your job, God, why? God, why? God, why? He says that, don't think it's, it's not strange for you to, for as a believer, as a Christian, it's not strange to go through trial or to go through some difficult path. Now, this is what I want us to understand. We have to know about, these are things that we have to know. Before I even mention, like, okay, what things that we have to know about suffering, if you're a believer, you just have to know this about suffering. Uh, number one, suffering is real. Listen, suffering is real. When you sit on a pin, you feel like you sat on something. When you step on fire, suffering is real. All right? Suffering is real. It's not pleasant and it's real. And in fact, let me mention this. The things that, um, uh, you see, there are some false realities that have been projected on Christianity. For it's unbiblical realities. It's not real. There are some things that are not real. They are false expectations, unbiblical and unrealistic expectations of Christians. Some unrealistic. It's not real for a Christian to think. This is, I'm going to show you a few things I've written down. Some things that some people say, when you're a Christian, it shouldn't happen to you. But that's not real. That is unbiblical. What are some of the unbiblical, false, unbiblical, unrealistic expectations for Christians? Number one, that all Christians will have happy marriage. No. <laughs> there are Christians who are married and they are always in trouble. Why? Why shouldn't, they, why shouldn't they have happy marriage? Because marriage is based on your behavior and the person you have married, your adjustment. Your, there are things you have to do. So there are people who are not believers. They are not Christians. But they have happier marriages than some people who are Christians. So being a Christian doesn't mean you always have a happy marriage. It means that you have the set of tools to, to use to get a, a happy marriage. But it doesn't mean you use it. All right. And then for other false expectation is that um, Christians don't get tired or discouraged. When you're a Christian, you'll be tired. You'll be, no, 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 no. We always, you always, it's, you're just an ordinary human being who will get tired. And that's why the Bible always encourages us, be strong, be, be strong, be strong. The Bible keeps encouraging us because there are times as a Christian, you, you might be discouraged, especially when you are in, uh, a church worker. <laughs> and there are times, situations will happen to your life, in your life that discourages you. You are thinking that, uh, maybe God, God, uh, uh, God has abandoned me or something. Huh? This is, this is what, what, listen, it's, it's called life. We go through life just as all other people go through life. So we will go through the pain others go through. However, we have Christ to help us go through that pain and end up working for us. Okay, so um, 
a second false uh, or realistic expectation is that uh, you don't get tired or we don't get uh, discouraged. And then another unrealistic expectation is that uh, Christians are always, you, when you're a Christian, you always be motivated to love, to pray, and to serve Christ. There are times you just are not motivated to serve. There are times you are not motivated to pray. There are a lot of Christian leaders, pastors who don't pray. There are a lot of Christian active, Christian ministers or Christian brothers and sisters who sometimes are just, I just not in the mood to pray. I just, you're just so, there are times you'll be demotivated to pray. There are times you'll be, you'll feel like you're not, in, we are not really walking in love towards Christ. We are supposed to, but there are times you just are not motivated to. There are times you are not motivated to serve and to worship. There are times you are not motivated to even go to church. That's why the, the lockdown, some people are very happy that, oh, I'm not even going to church. That's better for me. And now that the lockdown is being lifted, some people are very worried that, oh, am I going to go to church? It's normal. You, if you are not motivated at times, it doesn't mean you are not a Christian. All right? But do, you have to do what you got to do. Like I said last time, you have to face facts or take responsibility. You only don't do things when they are convenient. So num 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 number one, uh, Christian marriages are always happy. Number two, uh, uh, we, we don't get tired or discouraged. Number three, uh, you are, we are always motivated. No, that's not true. That's, that's false. Number four, uh, we, are, we are safer, healthier, and wealthier. No, Christians are not necessarily wealthier. Christians are not necessarily safer. When 9-11 when broke, uh, the building broke down. All right, there are Christians inside it. So being a Christian doesn't mean you are necessarily safer. Just that you have to trust God and let God lead you to take certain steps and do what you got to do. And then the next point is uh, for uh, Christians are, uh, 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 no, uh, yeah, this is a very false expectation that when you're a Christian, when I got born again, I thought the more you grow in, in the Lord, this thing, is that no longer, Christians no longer struggle with sin, doubt, or fear. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when you are not a Christian, you think Christians don't struggle with doubt, sin, and fear. So you become one and you realize, why? I've been a Christian all these years, 15 years, and still there are some things that I struggle with. It's called life. It's called humanity. All right? So these are not real expectations, but these are things that others go through. We also go through, but we have Christ on our side. I can do all things through Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit is always there as a standby, and we have to draw on the strength from the Holy Spirit. Also, Christians, the one another false expectation is Christians don't feel pain, or they feel pain less because Christ is in us, so we feel pain less. No, 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 no. A few years ago, the guys in church decided we should go and play some football. I went. I twisted my ankle. It was as painful as when I was an unbeliever and I hurt myself. Okay. So it's, it's, it's like a Christian footballer twisting his ankle will not feel the pain less than an unbeliever footballer twisting his ankle. That's what I'm trying to say. We don't feel pain less, but we have Christ to take us, see us through. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then finally, it's wrong expectation or unbiblical expectation that Christians should need no medication. Some people say, well, if you're a Christian, you don't need any medication. You just, if you are just trusting Christ, you don't need medication. Listen, medication is putting in uh, substances, a chemical in your system based on prescription that will help you. So if you are in pain and you take the painkiller, it's meant to deal with the pain, where the pain is, it's targeted pain. If you load a lot of sugar into your system, 
you have, you have problems with your health. When an unbeliever does that, you also have problems with their health. So it doesn't mean the believer's body is not really different from the unbeliever's body. It's our faith that is different from. So we face life in a, with a certain understanding. That is life. But in all these things, we learn how to trust God. We learn how to trust God to see us through. There are times where a believer will lose his job and an unbeliever rather gets promoted. So do not let us fret and, and use the, the fact that you are a Christian doesn't mean life is just going to be uh, a, a utopia. Or everything is going to be a wonderland. Everything is going to be wonderful, peaceful, or para, pa, paradise. No, it's, it's not necessarily so. Why? Why does these things happen like that? Because we are still living in the fallen world. So the re one of the reasons why Christians may go through all these difficulties and challenges will come to us is because we live in a fallen world. Now, watch this. There are things as you grow, even as I'm growing as a Christian, I find that this is a mystery. Mystery. There are things I don't understand. Uh, even though I'm growing my understanding in God, there are still things that I don't understand. Why is this happening? How can this be? It's because we are living in a fallen world. It's called life. It's called life. There are all kinds of contradictions in life that sometimes as we grow, but we will understand one day when we meet Christ. But you know, some of the contradiction is that we love Jesus and yet we struggle with the flesh. Hello? You actually love Jesus, but sometimes this flesh is troubling you. It's, it's, it's like, how? We love Jesus, and yet we struggle with the flesh. We have faith, and, and yet we struggle with doubts at, at times. You have faith, but sometimes you're wondering, oh, why? I, I can't believe. No, you believe in Christ, but there are times we struggle with doubts. We have, we, we, uh, we have been forgiven, but we are also not wholly free from sin. We, we, we discover the truth, but still have many questions. We have found the truth of God's word. We have the, is the truth, but we still have many questions. It's, 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 it's the contradictions of life. And sometimes as we grow, as we walk with Christ systematically, step by step, some of them will get clarified and then other questions still come. You are knowing the truth, but still having more questions. And then also we experience God's comfort, but we still feel, uh, we also feel the pain of our failures and our own lust. Even though we experience God's comfort, we still at times feel the pain of our failures. So that is life. So Christians, as long as we are in, this, in the flesh, we will go through certain difficulties. We will go through certain challenges. We will go through certain things. And sometimes it even feels like, where is God? This thing hurts too much. Where is God when it hurts? Where is God when it hurts? We have to have a, a holistic understanding of, um, uh, of, of uh, suffering as Christians. Now, so what we have to know about suffering, number one, suffering is real. Number two, uh, uh, suffering comes, to, uh, comes in all shapes and all forms. First Peter chapter 1 verse 6 says that when you fall into diverse kinds of trials, Suffering comes in all shapes, all forms. All, sometimes you don't even expect by the time you realize it's coming from here. It's like this. Sufferings come in all shapes, all forms. And then number three, suffering is inevitably limited. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, when you look at verse 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, reading all the way from verse 14, it says that for all things are yours and that... Uh, all things are, and that the abundance of grace might, might, 
might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Verse 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perishes, yet our inward man is inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, watch this, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. So it's not it's not eternal. Sufferings are inevitably limited. It has a limit. It can go on and on. It has a limit. It has a limit. He said it's working for us. So uh, 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 suffering has a limit. Now let's quickly go to the next point about suffering. We got to know about suffering. God is there in the reality of suffering. Suffering is so real, but the good news is that God is still with us, even in the reality of suffering. Hallelujah! In Exodus, he says that God said, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've seen the affliction. I've seen their frustration. And I'm, I'm coming to help. Their afflictions, their sufferings, God noticed it because he's with them. His name is Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 said, Emmanuel, God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. When you look at Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9. Very powerful scripture. It says that, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted. Whilst the people were suffering, God was also, it's like he suffered with them. He's, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his uh, pity, he redeemed them and he bare, he bare them and carried them all the days of old. In all their, affli their affliction, he was afflicted. It's like... Whatever they were going through, he was going through it with them. Psalm 23 said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Where? In the valley of the shadow. God is with us. The truth is that in the reality of suffering, God is with us. Hallelujah. And when Saul was breathing murderous threats, Acts chapter 9 from verse 1, against the church, Bible says that he didn't know that when he was breathing the threats against the church, arresting them, he was doing it against Christ. So in verse 5, he says that Christ, Christ messed him. He said, why are you persecuting me? What? Who is this me? Who is this me? It's the church. He is so much with us that even in the reality of our suffering, he is with us. He is with us in a sister, brother. I don't know what you might be going through, but I believe that whatever you are going through, God is with you in the reality of the suffering. Suffering is real. Suffering is real. We are human beings. We go through what others go through, but the good news is that God is with us. And listen, we don't have to understand the suffering. We don't have to know why I'm even, why am I going through this? Why is this? Sometimes we don't have to know why because sometimes it just don't even know explanation, no justification. But guess what? It is necessary to know who is with you. Hallelujah! It, Paul said, tonight, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, Acts chapter 27, verse, uh, verse 23 also, said, the God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood by me tonight. So you know, uh, the, the three Hebrew boys in, uh, in the book of Nezah's fire, the, chapter, chapter 3 of Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, we want you to know that we will not bow. Even if our God whom we serve is our God. He is with us. And Nebuchadnezzar said, we threw three men into the fire. I can see the fourth man. Now, what the point I'm trying to make is that God is with you. God is with you. My brother, my sister, the, the heat is great. Fiery trial. You might be going through fiery fairness, but he says that God is with us even in the fire. 
God, that's the, these are things that we have to know about Christian suffering. God is with us even in the fire. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, it talks about how we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but he was at, like us, tempted like us at every point, yet without sin. So he's really like us. And the Bible said he's touched with what we are going through, the feelings of our infirmity. He, he's with us. He is with us. But why won't he do something about it? Because, as I said, suffering has a purpose. Suffering has a purpose. Why do we go through suffering? Why? why I actually thought, why Christians suffer? But just to throw a bit more light on it. We go through suffering because we live in a fallen world. The world is falling. And so when you see disaster, you see this. It's part of the... This is, it's just... Global warming is part of the falling world. Disasters and earthquakes and fightings. Look at what Hitler did. Look at the First World War. Thousands of people died without any proper reason. The Second World War, millions of people. Look at people like Stalin. Look at Mussolini, Benito. People are wicked. I mean, we live in a fallen world. And now there's a lot of unfairness and injustice going on. Parents, when our children ask us, why is this like this? Why are things going on like this? We have to be able to let them know that we are living in a falling world. But there's a day coming. There's a day coming. God is going to see us through it. And there's a day coming where we are going to live in a glorious state with Jesus. Hallelujah. And so um, we go through suffering because we live in a falling, falling world. And Christians also go through suffering simply because um, the truth is that... Uh, we are not of this world. We, we, we just are not of this world because we belong to Christ. And because we belong to Christ, in, in I think John chapter 15, John chapter 15, it talks about how, John 15, let me read from verse 18. It said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. What? If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, remember the word which I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep your sayings also. But if they didn't keep my sayings, they won't keep what you're saying. If they persecuted me, Jesus went through it. So we live in a world, the reason why Christians also suffer persecutions, and I'm talking about suffering for Christ, is because we live in a fallen world, number two, because we, we identify with Christ, and the world hates Christ. The world hates, we are not of the world. We are of Christ, so we are not, the Bible says the world will love its own, but we don't belong to the world. And then the third reason why we, we suffer is purification. Purification, it perfects us. In chapter 1, verse 6 of First Peter, talks about the trial of our faith. As we go through the trial, it is actually, uh, uh, it's more precious than gold or silver, gold or silver that perishes. It will be found unto praise. So when we go on, we, we go down through the study, you find out that judgment will come. God starts purifying the church from inside. So purification is an act of purification. Sometimes we go through some things and God is using that to qualify us, to purify. Even Jesus, who was the son of God, Bible said, though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things he, suffering, he suffered. He was made perfect through suffering. So suffering is a major part, part of a human work with God. Praise God. So now, um, God is with us 
in the reality. God is there in the reality of our suffering. And then suffering, the last point I want to make about suffering, what the things we have to know. So number one, suffering is real. Number two, it comes in all kinds and all shapes. Number three, it's inevitably limited. Suffering is limited. It doesn't go on and on and on. Number four, God is there in the, in the reality of suffering. And number five, suffering in itself does not guarantee a deeper relationship with God. The fact that you are suffering doesn't mean you, it's going to produce a deeper relationship with God. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, it says that, Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, after, afterwards, it yields peaceable, peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised in it. Those who use it well and go through it well, it ends up bringing fruitful results, closeness to God. But some will go through the suffering, it will not produce that. So suffering doesn't, it, by just the, the mere fact that you are suffering doesn't mean you are getting closer to Christ. But your attitude towards the suffering and your focus on God and trusting in God is what can even strengthen your relationship with God. There are people who go through suffering and they say, no, you know what? They are all time low in their work with Christ. Praise God. So these are things that we definitely have to understand. Trials come to improve and prove us. It will prove you and improve you. It's proving what your claims are, whether your claims are really genuine, you know, how your level and it will improve you. That's the purpose, some of the purposes of trial. Let's go back to the text, foundational text. Um, it says that, thank you, Jesus. Verse 12, don't think it's strange that concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. And some of the things we have to understand is that it says fiery trial. Okay, so fiery trial talks about this fairness or it's fire of purification. When you read... Um, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 21, it talks about how silver is purified, how gold is purified. Psalm 66, verse 10. Psalm 66, verse 10, talks about the purifying of gold, purifying of silver. And I, I like reading Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. Let me read it. Isaiah chapter 48, verse... Isaiah 48, verse 10 says that, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the fairness of affliction. So fiery trials coming to us is a, a, a purifying process. The way, so in First Peter chapter 1, it talks about when we go through various trials, we should know that our faith, the trial of our faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes. So gold is trial tried through fairness, as we saw in Proverbs and we saw in Psalm 66, verse 10. And actually, I would like to read um, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9. It says that, I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and I'll try them as gold is tried. Wow. They shall call on my name and I'll hear them. I'll say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. Why? He said, these are people, I'm they are my people, but I'll bring them, I'll, I'll bring them, I, I, I will bring the third part through the fire and will re refine them as silver is, is refined. In Malachi, that's the last book of the Old Testament, chapter 3 says, chapter 3 verse 2, he says that, but who may abide the day of his coming and who shall stand 
in his appearance. For he is like a refiner's fire. Wow. Like fullest soap. <laughs> That's a serious one. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of gold. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. God is a God who will purge us. He will purify us. He will prune us. He will take us through this, the process. So, brother, maybe you are going through a process. God is using, God uses suffering, challenges, trials to purify us. So don't, <laughs> the point that I think is very strong here when he says that, don't consider it some, something like something strange is happening to you. Nothing strange is happening to you when you're a Christian and you're going through persecution or you're going through trials or suffering. Yeah, don't, don't think it's nothing strange. So don't be surprised by suffering. Don't be surprised by suffering. Don't be surprised a Christian. That's, it said it so clear. Let me read it again. Verse 12, it says that, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. The scholars say the fiery trial in one way is, I believe, is a refining process. But on the other hand, Peter was writing at a time when the Christians were going through persecution. Those days, Nero, um, the emperor, decided to, he wanted to refurbish Rome. So he set it ablaze. Rome was burning, and the soldiers tried to put it out. Uh, when people tried to put it out, soldiers stopped them from putting it out, and they were setting the fire more to burn. But emperor, they said, it's not, it's not him. So there was a public out, outcry, an uproar against him, and he has to find, mm, I have to be... I have to say it's not me. So what did he do? He said it's the Christians because Christians were already public enemies. They didn't like them. So he says it's the Christians. And so people turned their anger against the Christians. Christians were being killed. He took advantage and set some of them ablaze. They were burning as torches in his garden for barbecue, for his parties. So Christians were being torches and most of them were being set on fire to burn alive. And he said this is a fiery trial. Uh, fiery trial. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't think something strange is happening to you because you are doing it for Christ. You are suffering because you are a Christian. That's, that's the caveat. It's very important. Now watch this. It says that, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though something strange happened to you. It's not strange. <laughs> it's not strange. Expect it. It's just part. If Jesus went through suffering and you are following Jesus, then you also suffer for following Jesus. If in the way he was rejected, you'll be rejected. If he was loved, uh, scorned, you'll be scorned. If he was scorched, you'll be scorched. And so uh, then it goes on to talk about um, the, I mean, suffering. In fact, when you read the, uh, I like this, in Romans chapter 8, it talks about, I think I should read it. Romans chapter 8, all in line with suffering of the Christian. Watch this. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 said, If children, then heirs. If heirs, then joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him. You're a Christian. Expect to suffer. It's normal. <laughs> suffering is normal for the Christian. If so, be we suffer with him, that we may also be. Suffering is not the end. The end is glory. Hallelujah. That will also be glorified within verse 18. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time. So watch this. He said, I reckon the suffering of this present time. That means that there should be suffering. 
This is not compared, it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that you follow. So when you're a Christian, expect to suffer. Expect to suffer persecution, rejection, marginalization. Expect to suffer standing, taking a stand against him, against him. Expect to suffer going through righteousness or trying to practice righteousness. The, ah, listen, brothers and sisters, the Christian life is hard. <laughs> it's hard. I hope, I believe someone believe, agrees with me. Oh, when you become a Christian, everything will be cool. Everything. No, 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 no. When you become a Christian, it's actually things can be harder in the flesh. But guess what? There is this joy in your spirit. That's the next point. Hallelujah. The Christian life, uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, it says that I want to know him and the fellowship of his suffering. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death. The fellowship of his suffering is part and parcel of our walk with Christ. Uh, part and parcel of it. In Philippians, I think chapter 2 verse 17, it talks about how I'm being poured out. Philippians chapter uh, 2 verse 17 is a very powerful scripture. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. His life. His life, his life was finished, getting finished in, from inside him. It was, he was being poured out. He says that, yeah, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I'm being offered upon the service and the sacrifice, I'm being poured out so that you will do well in faith. You will do well. That's the minister. So the minister whose focus is all what people will do for him, what is getting from people, you are out of order. <laughs> it's more about what your life being poured out poured out woe is me if I preach not the gospel and so look, look, look at this let me just move on because of my time it says that um, so don't think it's strange something strange happened to you but look at verse 13 but but rejoice can you imagine when you are going through suffering say you rejoice Matthew chapter 5 verse 10 11 and 12 it talks about blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of things. Let me read it. Matthew chapter 5 verse, verse 10. It says that blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you and persecute you and, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. That's a very important one. Okay. What they are saying shouldn't be true. Falsely, all manner of falsely, for my sake, rejoice. What, what should you do? Rejoice when you are going through, when they are persecuting you. We should rejoice, rejoice in persecution, rejoicing in suffering. How to rejoice in suffering has to do with don't see it as a strange thing. How do you rejoice in suffering? How do you take suffering? How do you handle suffering successfully as a Christian? How do you manage suffering? Have this mindset that suffering is not strange. And then number two, he said, rejoice. So don't be scared. In other words, suffering is, uh, uh, suffering is not a surprise. And suffer we, shouldn't be, we should not be surprised by suffering. And we shouldn't be scared by suffering. Don't be scared. Rather, re rejoice. Rejoice because you are suffering for Christ. Rejoice. What I, I was just reading, Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul said, yes, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. I joy and rejoice with you all. 
Acts chapter 5, verse 41. After they were beaten, they left when they were let go. They went rejoicing that they have encountered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Can you imagine? They were rejoicing. Genuine Christian heart and Christian encounters rejoices in the presence of suffering. You might cry, but our heart rejoices. Paul said, I'm rejoicing for suffering for you. I rejoice for suffering for you. In Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 2 and 3, it says, Romans 5, 2 and 3, it said, By whom also we have access by faith in, into, the, into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Watch this. Not only so, we don't only rejoice in hope, but but. We glory in tribulation. Tribulation is trials, uh, sufferings. We glory in it. We are rejoicing and glorying in tribulation. Knowing what? Why? It says we glory in it, knowing that tribulation is working patience. In James chapter 1 verse, uh, verse 2, it says that count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. What? What? Counting joy. So there is the Christian's interpretation of joy. You see, don't throw uh, uh, your suffering away, but throw your joy, your attitude into your suffering. Throw it into your suffering. Throw it at your suffering. Have an attitude, a godly attitude towards the suffering that the enemy is bringing against you because of your stance in Christ. That is a very important point for his namesake. All right. So uh, they rejoice for suffering. And he says that, First Peter back is that uh, verse thirteen. But rejoice in as uh, rejoice in as much as ye are. Uh oh, that's a good word. Partakers of Christ's suffering. Can you imagine? When I am going through something for the name of Christ, he said, automatically I've connected myself to the suffering of Christ. So it is not my suffering, but it's Christ's suffering I'm sharing in. Hallelujah. When you suffer for the sake of Christ, you are actually participating. You are partaking. You are a stakeholder. You are a shareholder. You are a bona fide partner in the sufferings of Christ. Because the sufferings of Christ, the end of it is glory. He suffered and was glorified. So it's right, right here. He says that rejoice. That's, that should be the reason for our rejoicing. The reason for our rejoicing is not the pain, but the reason for our rejoicing is that because we are actually, Christ is, we are handing over the suffering. Or, or let me put it this way. Christ is owning the suffering. So if Christ owns the suffering, it's not personal. It's not personal. If he has to get involved and deal with that soul of tassels, he will do it. He will deal with him. Because he said, so, so, why do you persecute me? So as soon as we suffer for his name and we are handling, doing it because we belong to him, he owns it. And that's why we rejoice. That was, we are partakers, the suffering is for him and we are just sharing in his suffering. So it's no more our suffering, it's his suffering and we are sharing in it. And because we are sharing in his suffering, that, uh, the, the suffering of Christ, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye also be glad with exceeding joy. Wow. When his glory, his, his, there's a time coming, his glory will be revealed. When you read the uh, first Peter very carefully, you see that it talks about the revelation of Christ. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5. It talks about how, um, uh, what in spite of all we go through, he said, who are kept by the power, power of God through faith unto uh, uh, faith. 
unto salvation ready to be revealed. There's salvation ready to be revealed. When you read the verse, verse 13 of chapter 1, it says that, where get up the whereof get up the, get, Wherefore, get up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end, to the grace that is to, to be brought unto you at the revelation of Christ. There's revelation of salvation, revelation of Christ coming. And he says that when we go through suffering, there's glory that shall be revealed and we are going to be part of the glory. That is why Romans says that if we share in his suffering, we shall also share. We are joint heirs with him. We are sharing his suffering so that we can be joint heirs with his glory, in his glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so he says that um, the glory will be revealed. We will be glad with exceeding joy. We shall be glad with exceeding joy. And verse 6 talks about, chapter 1, verse 6 talks about great rejoicing. Chapter 1, verse 8 talks about joy unspeakable. Here it said exceeding joy. You see, this is a, a letter written to Christians going through suffering. And yet you can see there is still joy, 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 joy. He said, you rejoice with joy unspeakable. When Christ comes, we will, we will, we will be glad with exceeding over, overflowing joy. That is why he told the apostles that great, rejoice when they persecute you for my name. Matthew chapter 5 verse 10 downwards. Then the verse 12, he says that rejoice or be exceedingly glad because great is your reward. There's a reward coming. There's a reward coming. And our sufferings are not, will not be in vain. That's why you shouldn't be scared of suffering. But uh, look at this. It says that, verse 14, If ye be reproached, oh, oh, I've come across another word here. If ye be reproached, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. In other words, another, in verse four, verse, chapter 3, verse 14 also says that, happy are ye. Chapter 4, verse 14 says, happy are ye. Chapter 3, verse 14, other versions say, blessed are you. Happy. You are blessed if you, you, take, you suffer for Christ. Here it says that if you are reproached. So what does it mean to be reproached? To be put to shame. I read Matthew. It looks like Matthew is really featuring today. Matthew chapter 5, that same. Matthew chapter 5, I would gladly like to read it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Watch this text. It says that, blessed are ye. Blessed are ye, he said, if you are reproached, you are blessed. Here he said, blessed are ye, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. You are blessed. There, he says that if you are reproached, you are blessed. They are putting you to shame, but you are blessed. In, in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 22, Luke chapter 6, verse 22, he says, blessed are ye, when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company. Have you faced that? Yeah, sometimes when you, feel, you feel you are marginalized even in your family. You are marginalized in your, amongst your colleagues at work because you are Christian. It's, a, it's there. It's in your Bible. Just that, you know, because suffering has been the, um, separated from Christianity, a lot of Christians don't know what to do when suffering comes. And they think God has forsaken them. Say, so where is God when he hurts? Where, where are you, God? No, suffering is just part of Christianity. It's normal. It's a standard procedure. <laughs> but God will give us strength and grace to go through that for his glory. Now, it says that, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company. Really? And shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil 
for the son of man's sake. Say you are blessed. You, you, you are blessed. Someone say I'm blessed. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. Uh, <laughs> Hebrews 13, 13. I think you should like this one. It says that let us go therefore unto him without a camp, bearing his reproach. Remember, he says that blessed are you if you are reproached. He said, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, blessed are ye. Here, he said, let us go to Christ outside of, of, of the, outside, uh, he said, let us go, let us therefore, let us go forth therefore unto him outside of the camp or without the camp, bearing his reproach. When you are a Christ, a Christian, be ready to bear his reproach. What is reproach? It's like you are being put to shame. They are trying to disgrace you, humiliate you, castigate you. Let's go to him. He's not within those camps. He's not, but he's outside the camp of the community, the camp of those people who you, you thought were your friends but don't like you anymore because you're a Christian. They, 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 don't, they, they just hate you. Your work colleagues, they just exclude you. They marginalize you. Yeah, Jesus is not there. He's outside the camp. Let us go to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Let's bear his reproach. So let us go to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Not our reproach, but his his reproach. And when you look at chapter 11, verse 20, 26, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26, says that this is talking about Moses, verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. People of God are always suffering affliction. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. It is for a season. It is for a season. Sin is for a season. Don't enjoy it. It will go and then leave you with a debt you might not be able to pay or suffering on there's a certain type of suffering that is not meant for Christian, and you have to choose your suffering. I probably mentioned it just in closing. And watch this. He says that esteeming the reproach of Christ. Moses, this is Moses. What was Christ doing in the mind of Moses? Moses, 2,000 years before Christ, he, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God esteeming the reproach of Christ. It's in your Bible. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Bible says that esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So even Moses, he took the reproach of Christ, embraced it, thinking that this is better. It's better than the shame of Egypt or the, sorry, the treasures of Egypt. Better. Let, me, let them put me to shame. Let them humiliate me. Let them disdain me. Treat me anyhow. It's better than the treasures of Egypt. The reproach of Christ. Moses. So he said, let us go to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. So back to the point. He says that if you are reproached, First Peter, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. He rests on you, the, the spirit of glory in your lifetime. As you go through the pain for Christ, the spirit of glory, it says that, that's a serious one. It says that, happy are you. Why, why are you happy? For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's the same, the word rest, the, the same word that Jesus said, come unto me and I'll give you rest. It, it is settling on you. The spirit of glory settles on you. The spirit of God rests on you. So whilst they are speaking evil of him, they can't deny that God is, God is being glorified in your life. They see your outcome. They see the things that are happening in your life. And they, just like it says that in chapter 2, verse 12, they see your callous life. 
the kalos, their excellent life. And Bible says that they, chapter 2, verse 12 again, that was so pivotal in this, uh, Peter. Having your conversation uh, uh, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evil do, do uh, they may by your good words, which they behold, glorify God. So your, your work, the way you are even handling suffering, makes people feel, wow, this is interesting. We all go through the same suffering, but our outcome is not the same, and our approach to suffering is different. And unbelievers look at us and wondering, what is it about you guys? And the way you go through, the way you're handling the suffering, I can't take it, but the way you're handling, and they glorify God in us. Paul said, they glorify uh, Christ in me. They glorify Galatians. They glorified Christ in me. Hallelujah. And so it says that when you are reproached, the glory of Christ rests on you. Let me just pick this again. Let me, verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, for, 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 it's not for yourself, but you are doing, you are being reproached for the name of Christ. That brings to my Second Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, verse um, 10. Second Corinthians, we normally quote verse 9, but verse 10, it says that, therefore, I take pleasure in, in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. That's so important. I'm doing this for Christ's sake. I take pleasure in reproach for Christ's sake. Everything you are doing, the pain you are going through, the difficulties you are going through, it must always have this underlying fact that is for, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ. Let's go through it for the sake of Christ. And he says, we are blessed. We are blessed. In our next session, I'll go on the verse verse 15 and to show you how we should select and choose our suffering and so now we shouldn't be surprised by suffering and we shouldn't be scared by suffering don't be surprised by suffering and don't be scared by your suffering or expect suffering expect suffering enjoy suffering rejoice in suffering yeah enjoy suffering and expect suffering next time when we come i'll talk about evaluating our suffering or choosing our suffering. In Jesus' name, I pray that God is going to strengthen us. Suffering is not strange for the Christian. The Christian is built to handle suffering. Built to handle suffering. God is with us in the time of suffering. Built to handle suffering. Suffering is not strange. Suffering is part of the deal and how to maximize your suffering to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by David Entry. To hear more from David Entry, follow him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can also subscribe to Karis Church on YouTube. Don't forget to share and subscribe to our podcast so you're always up to date. Be blessed.